Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to Canadian Gothic, a series by the Nighttime Podcast. Welcome back, listeners. In our prior episode, we've been following along with the search for missing police officer Catherine Campbell. As we heard in that episode, after Catherine failed to arrive for work Monday morning, a series of discoveries would lead police to Christopher Garnier, and more specifically, to his friend Mitch's house. As we left off last week, we heard about the chance discovery of security camera footage that showed Chris dragging a green bin down Mitch's driveway throwing something towards a neighboring building, and continuing on with the green bin out of the camera's sight. And doing this all while barefoot, and only about an hour after he left the nightclub with Catherine Campbell. Tonight, in this episode, Madeleine Klein and I are going to continue the discussion right where we left off. So let's jump right back in to our talk surrounding the disappearance and death of Catherine Campbell. So what police do is they start canvassing the area, basically just going from house to house, popping open the green bins, looking inside to see, you know, what the hell is, you know, where, what is, what is happening. Uh, without even leaving two or three homes away from Mitch DeVoe's house, they start making some discoveries. First of all, across the street from Mitch DeVoe's place is a building where like, uh, where ambulances would park and wait it's like a kind of like a garage uh, where ambulances would be stored and stuff like probably to have them in the downtown core um, police look in garbage cans outside of the building and already they make a discovery what they find in a garbage can across the street from Mitch DeVoe's place is they find car keys for a car matching the type Catherine Campbell drove and they found a gym membership uh, it only takes them a couple calls to confirm that the gym membership is Catherine's and they send an officer with the keys to check her car and sure enough, it's her car keys. And the, her shirt was found in there too. Uh, a shirt. I don't know for sure if oh. it was her shirt, but what was okay. found was a shirt, car keys and the gym membership. At okay. least the gym membership in the car keys are absolutely hers. But I think um, police have described. She was wearing a dress. Mm -hmm. But she could have had yeah. like a little shirt over it keep warm sure. this be september night be a little chilly um or could be so that's the first discovery the second one is you mentioned when we were describing the timeline of those appearances of chris on the cctv camera we described chris throwing something in the direction of an adjacent building so i think if i was a police officer i'd want to know what that was it's yeah it sounds pretty important pretty imperative to the investigation mm -hmm. So they searched the building, a building, um, again, adjacent to Mitch DeVoe's place. And what do they find? It's almost like you couldn't write this stuff if you were writing like a murder mystery show. They find a silver necklace on the roof of that the building. That belongs to uh, Catherine Campbell. Catherine. Yeah. So we have across the street, we have her keys, her gym membership, maybe her shirt. We see Chris Garnier throwing something on a roof. We find her silver necklace on the roof. This isn't good. So, of course, the quest for green bins is now priority number one. 
they're watching Chris. They're all over the neighborhood searching green bins. They don't find anything as this is happening Tuesday afternoon into the evening. But just prior to midnight on Tuesday is when they make the first in a series of discoveries that are going to lead them to Catherine. They're, they're in an area that's, I would say it's about a 15-ish minute walk from Mitch DeVoe's house. If you left Mitch DeVoe's house, like Cat, um, Halifax is like kind of infamously kind of a city built on a hill with the harbor in the center. And then it's kind of like all of downtown is on a hill leading away from Halifax. It's insane. It's a tough my, city to my walk My dainty in. little Saskatchewan legs couldn't handle it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tough city to walk around in because you're always on a hill. It's exhausting. But uh, where, where they make this discovery is if you left Mitch DeVoe's house and walked towards the water, you'd be walking downhill about 15 minutes away from his house when they get really close to where the harbor would be. There's kind of like a wooded area. And the bridge that would lead from Halifax over the harbor to Dartmouth, the base of the bridge is there. So there's kind of like an area that's there's like trees and bushes and it's like a, a hill and just not the kind of place that people would go. And there's kind of some larger roads down there. But what they find is um, a toppled over green bin on the side of the road right where the woods or the the wooded area is starting calling it woods isn't appropriate but where the wooded area is starting uh when you think of just to back up of the cctv footage that the dermatology clinic shows chris garnier is leaving with the green bin at 450 he comes back without it at 530 so if you think this is about a 15 minute walk away that would be like kind of the appropriate distance yeah. for him to walk for 15 minutes do something and walk back. So I think when they find this green bin, they start thinking like, okay, like this is an out of place green bin. That's about the kind of appropriate distance that we'd expect. So we really need to search this area. This is just before midnight on Tuesday, only minutes later, five or 10 minutes later, that's when they make the discovery. You want to talk us through that? And it was only about... What what was it? Five hundred feet from the green bin, mm -hmm. they found Catherine's body face down with an old chair on top of it. Mm -hmm. So I, before you explained that to me, I was a little bit confused about what the hell he was doing for forty minutes. But I guess if it's fifteen there, fifteen back, he'd have about ten minutes to transfer her body from where he left the green bin to this where it was found. Yeah. And, and she was kind of found like sort of like down an embankment. So if okay. where it would have been, he would have had to stop where the green bin was found, move her down like kind of a hill where there's like trees, a bunch of random garbage and stuff. And he found and, and it seems like somebody took her down there, left her and put something on top of her to kind of conceal her body. Well, and I wonder if the chair was just there and it was a it was an op opportunity like he just was like oh yeah this will do it seemed yeah that wouldn't like where this is it wouldn't be unusual to for there to be old boxes or just oh, crap okay. it's just a, like it just like be a crappy place 
Okay. You know, like if you find like a wooded area in the downtown core of a city, there's just going to be random old tires and just random like city crap. So that's kind of where it was found. Um, Really big stuff is about to happen, though. There's like a lot of action is going to take place over the next few minutes. So I want to, again, recap kind of the timeline. It's Monday morning that she doesn't show up for work. All of this investigation happens from Monday morning into Tuesday. It is now just turning midnight on Tuesday night. Police have been following Chris Garnier or surveilling him since early Tuesday morning when they talked to him outside of at his new job. Uh, But since work, he pretty much just went home to his girlfriend's house because, again, over the weekend, him and his girlfriend had broke up momentarily and got back together. So he's now back with her happily at her place, and that's where he's been. But as police are discovering Catherine Campbell's body, downtown Halifax, a 15-ish minute walk from Mitch DeVoe's house, the people surveilling Chris Garnier... Uh, notice him leaving his girlfriend's house. It's about 1230 at night. He walks out of his girlfriend's house with a backpack on, throws the backpack, not in his car, but in her car, turns on the car, starts driving down the street. So surveillance, the surveillance team, it's not just one car following him. It's like a, it's like a network of them. The surveillance team notify each other. Like he's moving. Chris Garnier's in her car, driving out of here. We're going to follow him. While that's happening, the Halifax police are blocking off streets downtown. The medical examiner is showing up to take a look at Catherine's body and see what evidence is there. So it's a a lot is about to happen. Before we follow Chris, though, I will say when they find Catherine's body, it's apparent that there was um, violence involved in her death. She had two black eyes. Her nose was broken. And the medical examiner rules that her death wasn't due to the injuries to her face, but instead was due to strangulation. So we'll get into what that could all mean as we go. But as this is happening, you can imagine, you know, 1230 at night, early Wednesday morning, there there's the Halifax police are blocking off streets. They're probably bringing in lighting equipment so they can get a look down in the embankment where she was found. Um, you know, all of that is happening as Chris Garnier is leaving his neighborhood. And of course, he's driving towards downtown. The surveillance team is following him. He, of course, goes like a direct route from his place towards Mitch DeVoe's place. And he drives by Mitch DeVoe's place. And the surveillance team is now thinking like, oh, shit, like he is going He's coming here. So the surveillance team is calling ahead to the police that are working the scene of her body uh, where her body is found. And they're basically saying, like, get out of there, hide, turn off the lights, get rid of any equipment, make it look like nobody's there. And the cops work who had just found her body like 10, 15 minutes earlier are frantically trying to hide any evidence that there's a major police operation happening because they want to see what he's going to do. How intense is this moment? Bizarre. Yeah. Absolutely bizarre. Chris Garnier drives past Mitch DeVoe's place and he does what they expect. He drives right to where her body's found. And there's a there's a light there, like a red, uh, you know, traffic light. Okay. He has a red light. So he stops at the red light. 
surveillance team is watching him. All the police work, working the case, uh, working the crime scene are there hiding. And he's like right where the green bin would have been found. It's a, green, it's a red light, turns to a green light. And I'm sure they're thinking like, please get out and come down here or something. And we're going to arrest you like at the scene. The light turns green and he doesn't drive off right away. He just sits in her car, his girlfriend's car, uh, just for a couple seconds. And then he drives off and they question like, you know, what did he notice the surveillance? Did something spook him? But for whatever reason, he did pause. He drives off in his girlfriend's well, there, car. There was no way all of those cop cars were unmarked. Mm -hmm. So he had to have noticed some sort of police presence and got scared. Yeah. And even if the police aren't all parked there where her body was found, he probably passed one or two cops on the way because, you know, when they find a missing person who a dead police officer off-duty police officer when she was killed downtown it's not like they're going to send two cars you know everybody no. is going out there so even if they managed to get out of the way he probably still passed enough cars on the way cop cars on the way that he's like i'm not going to get out of the car here yeah probably i mean he's an idiot but was not that much of an idiot mm -hmm. to get out and return to the scene yeah so he drives by he continues on and he then basically turns around and goes right back home to his girlfriend's house. So, and it, so your question is like, if you're an investigator, obviously at this point, you're like, it's definitely him. Why else would he just drive here and turn around and go home in the middle of the night? He pulls back up to his girlfriend's house. I believe it is just about one in the morning that he gets one, back. One thirty. Yeah, one thirty. he pulls back into, uh, parks the car in front of his girlfriend's house. And it's at this point that he's done. They've seen enough. Uh, he's arrested outside of her home at one thirty, early Wednesday morning, just, I don't know, two days after she was uh, reported missing. 27-year-old Christopher Calvin Garnier is now charged with second-degree murder and indecently interfering with a dead human body in the death of a Nova Scotia police officer. We've laid that charge because of the, uh, the cavalier way that uh, Ms. Campbell's body was uh, disposed of. Police discovered Constable Catherine Campbell's body under the McDonald Bridge in the early morning hours yesterday. Today, they say they believe she was murdered at a residence on McCulley Street, but the investigation is not over. As part of our ongoing investigation, we're asking anyone who saw a white male wearing shorts and a t-shirt pushing or pulling a green bin on Agricola, North and Barrington streets around 4.30 a.m. on September 11. Police say Christopher Garnier met Catherine Campbell at a bar in downtown Halifax Thursday evening, but they don't know whether that was the first time the two had met. Catherine Campbell was a volunteer firefighter in Stellarton for 10 years. Christopher Garnier was a volunteer firefighter in the Halifax area for a year and a half. He also worked as a personal trainer at this gym in Clayton Park. And just this week, he started working as a salesman at this company that services fire suppression systems. He was polite. He was quiet. Um, he carried himself well. The manager says Garnier was fired after working here for only two days when he didn't show up for work. He says Garnier was questioned on Tuesday. It was an unmarked vehicle and, and Chris was in the back talking to them for an hour or so and he came back in and I asked him what was that all about. It's just before the lunch period and he said uh, it was an ongoing investigation. The police thought he could might be providing some help and some information on something that's going on so I thought nothing of it. Christopher Garnier has no criminal record. Still, the Crown is opposing his release. What they find in his car is, uh, or her car, gets interesting because it's a key 
point during the interrogation of Chris Garnier that would follow, they bring up a lot of what they find in his car. Tell me about it. Well, it's a little suspicious. When they search his girlfriend's car, they find a tarp, work gloves, tape, rope, and gasoline. You don't... That's an odd jumble of things to be toting around. Yeah. Uh, And don't they find a receipt proving that he just bought all of these items Mm, too, or most of these items? I believe so. And the, the gas can, that's something really suspicious when i take gas maybe i'm overly cautious but whenever i have to like get gas from my lawnmower or snowblower or something i like put the gas can in my trunk i drive to the gas station put the gas in it rush home with my windows down because there's no way around making the gas can make your car stink well and you're driving like glass like you're driving glass because you don't want (laughs) to spill it yeah exactly and when and as soon as i get home i like open my car take the gas can out a gas can is not the kind of thing you just drive around with. Like if I got to run out somewhere to get a bite to eat at midnight, there's no way in hell there's going to be a gas can in the car with me when I do that under right. no circumstances. Um, or tarp and a rope. Yeah, but maybe you're like an outdoorsman and you just keep that in your trunk because you go camping a lot. He's so not. That- no. <laughs> and it's also <laughs> yeah. his girlfriend's car. Yeah, that's a good point too. But I think like tape, rope, work gloves tarp you can come up with an excuse for that and maybe i'll know your bullshit but at least you can have something to say about that the gas can i'm like no you cannot yeah. convince me that a sane person drives around with a gas can in their car totally regardless uh police weren't interested he was arrested charged with second degree murder um his girlfriend comes out like you know what the hell's going on and it's at this point they start searching her house and all hell is breaking loose. This whole thing is blown open. And, and, inv- and an interrogation will follow of Chris Garnier that is um, very difficult to watch and listen to for, for a variety of reasons. The interrogation, like they bring him back to the Halifax Police Department and they sit him down in over the period of nine hours. He's interrogated and it's, I wouldn't say that's the good cop, bad cop thing. But there's a lot of moments during the interrogation where he's being soothed by a female police officer with like, you know, it's okay, you can talk to us and he's crying. And it's, I find it hard to watch those. Like I know they're being empathetic with the person they're interrogating as a way to get them to open up. But I found it, this interrogation especially, I found that odd, but they were, they were good. Cause they, the interrogators, they had so much evidence on him up until this point. He had, you know, he didn't say anything really about why he'd be with her or whatever. But now they have video of him dragging a green bin, throwing her stuff around. He was with her. He was driving to the scene of where her body was found. You know, it's like it's slam dunk. This is an interrogation where the only outcome is going to be a confession. It's just going to be a question of like, what does he confess to? What story does he give? And it's not very long before he starts talking. Chris, you've been sitting here saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. There's, life is about choices right now. Just like the choice that you made to go out on Thursday night. She paid for the cab. She paid for the cab. You remember that? 
Is it that you don't remember or you don't want to remember? I don't remember. What do you remember? After she paid for the cab, what do you remember? During the interrogation, he eventually... Like he, he he has a lot of like I was drunk and I don't remember. There's a lot of that going on. But what he does admit to is that he did kill Catherine Campbell. Um, he doesn't know why or how. Uh, he does admit to moving her body in a green bin, uh, which I think was obvious. So did she suffer? How do you know she didn't suffer? You're certain that she was dead when she when you put her in the, the the compost bin. Okay, how do you know she didn't suffer? She wasn't moving, but she wasn't breathing. And when they ask him, they actually push quite hard with like, you were coming down here with a tarp and a rope and gas. And what was that for? And he all but admits that he was planning to collect her body and get it out of there. I just talked to some people upstairs. Okay, I know what you had in your car. You were trying. You were going to go and do something with her body. I don't know what I was going to do. Okay, well, the stuff you had in your car. What was that for? Well, I had my bag because I wasn't sure if I was going to leave or not. Right. Well, but the tarp and gas. It could have been for one or two things. For what were those things for? What, what, what did you have this for, for? You were going back down there to get her. I thought about it. Yes, you were. And then you were going to, what were you going to do with the gasoline? If there hadn't been anybody around there, you would have went down and, and did that. Okay, could have. I drove by there before. Yes, I know you drove by there. Chris Garnier admits to it. He's charged. He has a trial. He pleads not guilty. And the lawyer he has is uh, the lawyer's name is Joel Pink. And if you follow crime stories in Nova Scotia or in the East Coast of Canada, the name Joel Pink comes up all the time because he is, I think, easily the most famous, highest profile criminal defense lawyer in Nova Scotia. He would be, I think, like, if you were being charged with a crime and you had money, you're probably your first call is to Joel Pink. And if he can take your case, great. If not, you'll try to find other people. Um, Chris Garnier, whose family has some money, he has Joel Pink as his lawyer. And the story to defend Chris Garnier is, uh, we've mentioned it a couple of times, no point of beating around the bush. His defense is what has become known as the rough sex defense. And this comes up in several cases. You reacted uh, to it quite strongly at the beginning when I said that, but I've heard of several cases that involve the rough sex defense. But in essence, what Chris Garnier's story is, as told through his lawyer, is that when they got back to the place, to Mitch DeVoe's place, uh, Chris had no intentions of having sex with Catherine. He made a point of saying that. But as soon as they got back there, uh, Catherine brought up the, the that she likes, according, and this is awful to say, 
Um, but he says she brought up that she liked rough sex and asked Chris to do a variety of like kind of like domination things to her. During his opening address to the court, defense lawyer Joel Pink called Catherine Campbell's death an unfortunate accident that happened as a result of rough sex, which was initiated by her. Christopher Garnier decided to take the stand and testify on his own behalf. He told the court he met Campbell at the Halifax Alehouse and that the pair later went back to his friend's apartment on Macaulay Street, although Garnier repeatedly said he didn't have any intention of having sex with Campbell. Once at the apartment, Garnier testified Campbell asked him if he was into domination, which caught him off guard. Garnier says Campbell asked him to choke her, and once they were on a pillow coach in the apartment's den, she asked to be slapped while his arm was across her neck. Gurney said he slapped Campbell quickly three times. Following that, he felt something warm and saw blood. Gurney said he got up and got a towel from the bathroom, but when he came back, Campbell wasn't moving. That's when he tried picking her up and heard a gasp. Gurney said he panicked, felt sick to his stomach, and had blurry vision. The next thing he recalls is folding a mattress and having a picture in his mind of the McDonald Bridge. Gurney said at the time he was being interrogated by police, he couldn't recall what had happened and was trying to process it. In addition to Garnier, the defense has said they plan to call a psychiatrist to explain why Garnier doesn't recall certain details about what happened and also to explain erotic asphyxiation. Just the timing, I find it hard to believe that she would lead with that approach. You know, like you get to the apartment and that's that's the first thing she asks. Mm. And yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's erotic asphyxiation, which is all fine and dandy. But isn't isn't the point of that the erotic part you it's it doesn't happen before you're having sex mm. right mm. i mean I, I don't know everyone's I, different yeah. but if it truly was an accident he why wouldn't he have taken the proper measures right at the beginning yeah if you accidentally kill someone and let's take away the the rough sex erotic dis whatever you said if me and a friend, if you and I are here and we're um, having a pillow fight um, and I accidentally smack you with a pillow and you fall backwards and hit your head off the table and I'm like, oh shit, like Madeline. And then I realize you're not breathing. My next step would not be like, I got to put her in a compost bin and move her. I would call right. police or emergency, like the ambulance, even if I was drunk. I would be like, I'm yeah. calling an ambulance. She's not well, and this, breathing. This dude is a whatever volunteer firefighter and like an air cadet or whatever. Yeah. So it's not like he's unfamiliar with law enforcement. Yeah, I he shouldn't he, be scared of them. No, and he had some training. I don't know if he worked as a paramedic or had some training in that because he was also a personal trainer, which would involve is some kind of health and safety training. So he shouldn't be a layman on you know, this sort of thing. Like he should be able to check right. a pulse or at least know, like I got to call it. There's like having sex isn't illegal. He didn't no. yet up until now. He hasn't done anything wrong. And, and neither is erotic asphyxiation yeah. as long as it's, you know, if, if it's consensual, that's great. Mm -hmm. But also if you're into that and the person loses consciousness, you would stop. I, I was going to Google today how long it takes to, like, choke someone to death, but I thought that would look really bad on my search history. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm curious on, because you're going to lose consciousness first, mm -hmm. right? And then 
I mean, I'm sure there's a possibility of regaining consciousness. Yeah, you would think you could be unconscious and still come back from it and live. That's so correct. It, my I've never Googled it, nor would I, but my understanding is that strangling someone to death is more time-consuming and complicated than you would think. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, we hear about people, whether it's in a fight or whatever. Uh, I remember when I was young, um, the, the choking game was like a thing. because right. You'd like choke out your friends and they'd pass out because it was like almost euphoric. Mm, I mean, I... I didn't do it because, you know, you hear about the kids that died. But like to choke someone to death takes takes a while takes mm. a little bit longer yeah uh, his story is that he had his arm across her neck so i'm thinking like kind of like his forearm across her neck with his weight kind of like on top of her pushing in, in into her neck he claims he hit her by her request during that which would explain the black eyes and the fractured nose although that could have also happened putting her in the green bin but if it isn't that's a pretty sh like I don't know, but someone's into rough sex that involves hitting. I don't think it's the kind of hitting to like the no. bridge of the nose that involves breaking in black eyes. It's not that. Sort well, of thing. and I'm pretty sure he admitted to slapping her. Okay. And I've never seen a slap result in two black eyes and a broken nose. Mm -hmm. So. So you're not buying his defense. Oh, not even a little bit. How awful is this for the families to have this come up? Because when the trial happened, they also were bringing up ex-sexual partners of Catherine Campbell to take the stand to to be like, this is what it was like, you know, having sex. I was going to ask if they did that. Yeah, Which I did. mean, great. They have ask to do her, it. Ask her exes if, you know, is it, is that what she was into? And I mean, even if it was. It shouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. She still ended up dead. No. Um, but it, it's but... just like it, when you hear of like a trial, just opening all these wounds and showing, like making them, her family and loved ones watch, and you know sisters and stuff watch like the video of him pulling the compost bin around, and then getting her then add this to it partners up. Yeah, that's insane. And another thing we didn't get, we kind of we went from the evidence into the trial, but there was even more evidence they were able to collect after his arrest that got brought up at trial. That was kind of wild. One thing is he was dragging the compost bin from Mitch DeVoe's house to where he dumped her body, but that leads you right through like kind of main areas. So there was all these people who encountered him barefoot at four in the morning pulling a um the compost bin so it became like you know there's that aspect of it is so awful as well like it you know if he just killed her and left her at mitch devoe's house that's bad enough but this idea this dehumanizing way that he put her you know you'd say you often hear like treated her like trash by throwing her away he literally put her in a compost bin dragged her through downtown and dumped her in basically like a dump is what he did and there was people who there was a i think there was a garbage truck who was on the street that night and as the garbage truck's driving chris garnier was crossing the street so the garbage truck had to stop and chris garnier walks across the front pulling the compost bin another guy was out for like a morning jog 
and he just runs by like this kind of guy huffing and puffing, pulling a compost bin at four in the morning without shoes on. So it's, it's just this horrific event, every aspect of it. And the trial is disgusting. Tensions are really high. And, and then there, and then he somehow adds insult to injury by his lawyer saying, oh, well, it was consensual. Yeah. It was an accident. That doesn't sound like an accident to me. So we don't even need to explain why, but Chris Garnier is found guilty of murder. Um, the, the evidence against him is rock solid. He's found guilty of murder. And I think that's clear, but the next little battle comes in the sentencing, determining how long this man should be imprisoned for killing her. It's, it's obvious that the way he disposed of her body is going to become a matter of debate because when they determine sentencing, they look at the details of the crime. Pulling her around in a green bin does not look good uh, in terms of him getting a light sentence. So his lawyer, his defense lawyer, needs to discount that aspect of the crime in hopes of earning Chris a better sentence. So the way he justifies or maybe minimizes the awful way Chris moved her body is he he says uh, Chris Garnier is now suffering from PTSD and PTSD happens immediately after a traumatic event. Not like days later, it can happen immediately after. So Chris Garnier meets a girl at a bar, brings her home. She comes on to him and gets him to engage in rough sex. He accidentally or she accidentally dies in the middle of it, which is traumatic to Chris. And Chris, due to the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, isn't able to properly handle what's happening. And that's what leads to him putting her in, in the compost bin and moving her. Like Chris may have done it in body, but in mind, he was suffering from PTSD. He's a sick man that did this. And I think... <laughs> I can see in your face, you're not, uh, if you're on the jury, you're not really interested in that. No, I'm glad there was seven women on this jury because mm -hmm. they probably all had the same face that I do right now. Yeah. What they, one of the lines from it is the testimony of Dr. Hucker, who was like a psychologist, clearly indicates that there is a strong link between Mr. Garnier's illness, being PTSD, and the interference with human remains. Therefore, it should be considered a mitigating factor in his sentencing on that charge. So that was kind of the justification that defense lawyer uh, Joel Pink had. Um, however, the, the, the judge overseeing the case, Justice Joshua Arnold, did not buy it. He says, as shown on the surveillance video from the alehouse, Catherine Campbell was expecting romance and, and affection on the evening she was murdered. She was vulnerable. And once on Macaulay Street, which is where Mitch DeVoe lived, for reasons unknown, Mr. Garnier punched her in the face broke her nose, strangled her to death, and then in an effort to hide his crime, treated her remains literally as garbage. I like this judge. Yeah, that, I think that's like perfect. It's exactly yeah. oh, the right. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. He wasn't um, there, but that's exactly what happened. Right. And Chris Garnier, he, he had a, like he's, he took the stand. He wrote a letter as well, apologizing to Catherine's family, um, pleading for forgiveness. But there was never an explanation as to why this happened. It was always, it was an accident, which I'm not buying. Um, 
He was found guilty for the crime of murdering Catherine Campbell. Chris Garnier was sentenced to life in prison without eligibility for parole for 13 and a half years. So he's gone away for a long time, but the story is far from over. This case has been in the news for a variety of reasons afterwards, but the first, and we'll get into a few of them. There's a couple pieces of this I want to talk to you about. One thing as, and, and maybe I want to get this, your opinion for this, about this as a woman, because I don't think I can relate to this. So Chris Garnier breaks up with his girlfriend. Her name's Brittany Francis. He, he was with her for about a year. Okay. They met on a dating oh, okay. site. They were together for about a year. They break up on like Tuesday or I think they Wednesday, they break up Thursday night. Chris goes out with his buddy drinking, meets a girl at a bar, kills her, gets arrested, uh, hides her body by moving it in a compost bin, gets arrested Wednesday morning, early Wednesday morning after he takes your car downtown, probably to collect her body and burn it somewhere, assuming. Uh, anyway. Here's the part that I don't understand is Brittany Francis. She took him back before he was arrested, but she stood by him and supported him throughout this trial. If you see any video or photos of Chris Garnier walking into the courtroom, he's holding hands with her or has, you know, arm in arm throughout the whole thing. She stood by him. And even after sentencing, I don't know if still to this day, but as far as I know, they're still together. I find that completely shocking. Like, like to stick do... with him before it was like rock solid. Yes, he murdered another woman 24 hours after they broke up. Fine. But like through the trial. So like, you know, he did it. Mm. And whether it was manslaughter or not. Why would you? What? Yeah, I, I don't get it. Maybe. I don't know how old she was. I was young, once a young, dumb woman, too, who, well, he, wa he wasn't a murderer, but I dated an idiot. <laughs> I just, I can't see me, st even, even as a young woman, staying with a murderer. Why wouldn't you? I would be scared. Yeah, I would be like, scared. I, well, I would also be like, I don't want my, I won't even want you to say my name in the same sentence as his name. I want nothing right? to do with the guy who killed the cop and moved her body around in a combo spin. Nothing yeah. to do with him, let alone like. I'd be like, I'll testify against him. What yeah. do you need me to say? Like, yeah, arm in arm walking into the courtroom. It shocked me that she stood by yeah. him. And, and as he I had a lot of support. Yeah. Well, one of his most devoted supporters is his father. And we'll get into that in a moment. Um, but I will say when this was all happening, I told you I used to live right by her house that Chris lived in with her. I don't think they owned it together. I think it was hers and he lived there with her or it was a rental. I don't know. But anyway, so like, did you follow this in real time? Start oh, absolutely. And oh, while wow. this was going on, I saw her several times. Like I'd be at the grocery store and she'd be there or I'd be like, I had to walk by her house because it was very close to mine, like literally two blocks away. Wow. And it was just really weird. Crazy. Because I was, yeah, I was closely following it, especially when the trial was going on, because a, a lot of what we know about the case now, we didn't know then. Like a lot of this came out for the first time as they were 
revealing the evidence in the trial. Like seeing That's another thing that pissed me off. The trial took two years and he got time served. I, that so, always pisses me yeah. off. It's so unfair. It shouldn't count. No. Ugh. Start um, fresh. So we mentioned Chris Garnier's dad uh, as one of his supporters. His dad was um, a very vocal supporter. I was in the news quite a bit. Like I wouldn't. I don't know if you'd say blaming Catherine, but he was in the news defending his son. I guess is the best way to put it. Um, but here's how his dad gets mixed up in this, uh, both directly and indirectly. So during the trial, as I mentioned, they talked about Chris suffering PTSD as a result of killing Catherine. Um, during the trial, they also mentioned that he was getting treatment for his PTSD while he was in prison. Uh, but what ended up coming out in this, I think, came out as a result of freedom of information requests by media. I think CBC may have come across this, is what they learned is that Chris Garnier's treatment for PTSD wasn't being paid for by like Corrections Canada or the prisons or, you know, any of that stuff. It was actually being paid for by like Veterans Affairs Canada, like being paid for by the group that deals with sick veterans. Uh, Chris Garnier never served in the military, but his father did. And I guess one of the benefits that his dad had by serving in the military is like kind of like medical treatment for other members of the family. So Veterans Affairs was paying for Chris Garnier, who wasn't a veteran, to get treatment for PTSD with the traumatic event being the time he killed the woman that he was convicted of murder for. And as you can imagine, when that came out, people were livid. The court previously heard that Garnier was being treated for PTSD, which was brought on by the murder itself. His father has received treatment for PTSD, and because he served in the Canadian Forces, that treatment is covered by Veterans Affairs Canada. Because his father is a veteran, Garnier also gets his treatment covered by the department. This is the ultimate slap in my face. Veteran Dennis Manouge says Veterans Affairs covering Garnier's treatment is especially insulting, considering there are veterans currently waiting months and more than a year for certain services. We give up rights. The moment we are convicted of a crime, rights are given up. So this is a public relations disaster. In a tweet, Veterans Affairs Minister Seamus O'Regan said, while I completely understand people's frustration with this story, these supports for family members are not new. They've been in place for many years. I will be looking into how and why this decision was made. Former NDP Veterans Affairs critic Peter Stauffer says Garnier should get the treatment he needs, but through Corrections Canada instead. Because the question will then be asked, the family of the woman that he murdered, the police officer that he brutally murdered, are they going to get um, mental illness treatment or PTSD treatment from DVA? Of course not. Sickened is how Campbell's aunt described feeling in a Facebook post about the department covering Garnier's treatment. A Veterans Affairs representative, speaking generally, says the department's goal is to help veterans, even if that requires treating their loved ones too. In order for, for that veteran 
to uh, for their rehabilitation plan. For part of their rehabilitation, it may be that the family also needs to be engaged or specific members of the family. So the most um, common example of that is, of course, that we'll do couple therapy. They tried to justify it, but ultimately, I think it was just a matter of bad policy that this was able to happen. But they've maybe as a, an acknowledgement of this being bad policy, they actually rewrote the compensation package that veterans get by saying like, you know, your dependents or your kids or whatever get access to this unless they're serving time in a prison. So nice. they actually like rewrote it specifically targeting like something like this happening again. Well, good. Absolutely it's unfortunate good. it had to happen, but at least it was rectified. Mm -hmm. This is an ugly case from start to finish, but I think the part of it that isn't ugly is that they were able to conclusively and quickly solve everything. It was, you know, Monday morning, she didn't show up for work. Not even 40, about 45 hours later, they're putting handcuffs on the guy who did it with irrefutable evidence that he did it. The, yeah. the question they weren't able to solve or the, the question they weren't able to answer is why and you know what the actual like the things we don't know is the stuff that only Chris Garnier and Catherine Campbell know and Chris isn't going to tell anybody no and, that's and yeah probably never will I'm just I'm so stuck on if it were truly manslaughter and someone with you know the firefighters background and the air cadets background that sounds like someone that knows CPR to me hmm so the That's second that point. you, There's you no thought way you're... something was awry, why didn't you try? Yeah. There's Ugh. no way you become a volunteer firefighter and don't go through CPR training. And don't have life-saving measures training. None of um, his story I am buying. No, I think, I don't know. I don't know what I think happened, but I think with Chris Garnier, he's he's drinking. He just broke up with his girlfriend. His life is kind of turned upside down. He's changing jobs. He's again, this happens two days before he starts a new job. That's a stressful time. So this like he has a lot going on. I think he let off steam by killing the vulnerable girl he met at a bar that was smaller than him and drunk. Yeah. I uh, I would have to agree. And as far as if they knew each other, so they were both volunteer firefighters, never for the same fire department or anything, but there's there's that connection. Catherine Campbell did use dating sites, like dating apps and stuff like that. Chris, uh, Chris Garnier, I believe, met his girlfriend that stood by him throughout this through a dating app. So there's reasons to believe, I think, that maybe they met that way. But if you look at the video of them, like, making out and dancing together it just it seems like pre, it just doesn't seem like they just met at that moment i i would love to know if they knew each other before well even if even if that was their first time meeting in person i feel like they had been talking at least minimum before mm -hmm. even if it was for a very very short time maybe they just matched on tinder or wherever said hey let's meet up at this bar tonight great Mm -hmm. um i'm sure the police 
did their due diligence and went through, you know, all her computers and both of their cell phones and all that. But, you know, there's a good chance uh, they met on a dating site. What if they started communicating through a third party app? WhatsApp? Kick? Yeah. That's untraceable. Mm. Like. Yeah. And just one other part of this, too, that should be mentioned is uh, with Chris Garnier in looking for what may have happened or why he did it. It's important to note um, the morning after he killed her, he was Googling what he takes like an antidepressant or something he was doing a, he did a few google searches for like the name of that drug and violence and you know this and memory loss so it seems like interesting he, i wonder if he was doing that because he's, he's like why did i do this or is he doing that because he's like can i get out of what i did by blaming it on my medicine although that didn't really come up in the trial so weird to any major extent like i think it was mentioned that he had this stuff going on, but it wasn't like his defense or anything. The defense was, it was rough sex gone wrong, rough sex that Catherine Campbell initiated. Yeah. And they were sticking to that. Mm-hmm. You can't kind of like sort of bring that in. That's either your defense or not. True. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know. I have a feeling that him and his girlfriend were kind of on again, off again. And the reason for their breakup was because he was texting other women and yeah, I think he went out, made some really bad decisions, and either in the midst of this bad decision or right after, he panicked and was like, if she ever finds out about this, she'll never take me back, and decided to do the worst worst case scenario. Deciding to put a body in a green bin and dump it downtown is a pretty bad decision if it was truly an accident let, let's just play, talk this out and play this out let's say he calls 911 and says i just you know i met this girl i just we we're having rough sex and i think she's dead do you think he gets convicted of anything no no because how uh, could you would, prove it well exactly he would catch a manslaughter charge at the at the max mm-hmm. and I would be surprised if he served any time. Well, and especially it's demeanor, right? If you're clearly like, if you if you call nine one one on yourself, yeah, and you're and cooperating, kind of lay and... it all exactly, lay yeah. it all out, and try and get the paramedics there to help. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, would have helped his case. Certainly, but... I think the problem, though, and maybe why he didn't do it. If he calls 911, says we were having rough sex, and they show up and she has two black eyes and a broken nose, they're like, what kind of rough sex were you having? Like, that's... I guess, but like, stranger that, things. Could that I be suppose. it? Or or maybe, like, it could be, I can't do that because I just, like, broke her, like, punched her in the face. Uh, but it could also be, yeah, like, doesn't want his girlfriend that he wants to get back with to know. And... I, this has never, I've never learned what happened here, but one of the moments when Chris Garnier is caught on video leaving Mitch DeVoe's place and walking down the driveway, um, the it's actually the first time he appears on CCTV footage where he walks down the driveway and looks around to see if the coast is clear. He has something in his hand and it looks like it's a phone and that he may be texting. So I would love to know if immediately after killing her, he was writing his girlfriend Brittany to be like um you know take me back you know this sort of thing I wonder if he immediately 
you know, went to that space. I don't think that was ever revealed if he was on the phone or any of his phone records, but that would be, that'd be interesting to, to know, yeah, but I'd I love think, to know what, what was, what he was doing. Well, I would love to know what he did to took her to, to get her to take him back because it's like, you know, I've heard of like buying flowers and, you know, this sort of thing, but whatever he did, like given all this for him to be able to get her back. Oh my goodness. He must be a smooth talker, but I was just going to say a narcissist can sweet talk his way into anything. Um, if he calls 911 and says, I strangled her, uh, you, you said what you thought happened. I think he gets away with it. I think if, if he does that and he's cooperative and the ambulance arrives and he stays on the scene and he gives that story. We were having sex and next thing I knew she was not breathing. I don't think there's a, a way to prove anything criminal no. happened. Maybe he gets a manslaughter charge, which isn't that big of a deal in Canada, sadly. Um, yeah. At most. And I that's think a maybe. That's that's, yeah, that's yeah. a maybe because it's, it's an uphill battle because it's going to be his word against hers. You can't like you need to be beyond a reasonable doubt that he did it. If he stays behind and calls nine one one and outs himself, and that, and you know what, that might not have. If that had been the way it went, it might not have even have made news. It certainly wouldn't have been as as big as it was. Oh hell yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, because maybe they would people even have people are him. murdered every day, and we we don't hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, I think also another reason it's so like would be a big case and why people would tell this story is the investigation was so interesting. Like as we went through there following the steps leading up to this, it's so it was so cool how it's just like one thing leads to another and it just quickly leads right to him, right to her body. Like it's the investigation. It was it was good police work, but it's like it basics. was seamless. Yeah. And it was just kind of like basics. They just yeah. boom, 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 boom. Uh, I think it's like it's probably how they want it always to go. And because there's no debate about anything, they just had evidence that brought them right to it. And it happened so fast. Um, they proved that it is possible to solve a crime this fast. They should they should really put this energy toward all cases. <laughs> I think there's probably a bit of working hard, but also a bit of luck. Just the fact that security video was useful at so many key moments getting her out of her apartment them in the bar together and him moving the compost bin it just made like three key moments of this uh rock solid with time stamps so. right yeah pretty yeah it was surveillance pretty much tracked almost every move mm -hmm. if only mitch devoe had have had a camera in his living room we you know the rest of the story be there well, and who? What if he hadn't ended up in the drunk tank, and he and Chris wasn't alone with Catherine? How different mm. things would have been. That changes everything. We don't know. We don't know what. Yeah. Well, I think we've gone through it. We can start wrapping this up. A dark story, a horrible story. If people want to see any of the security footage, um, a lot of it's out. I'll add a link in the episode description that will bring you to where you can see some of the evidence and court exhibits related to this case. There's nothing graphic, but again, just eerie, eerie seeing a grainy video of a man pulling a green bin around when you know, without shoes on, when you know what's in that green bin is quite awful and dark.
But I think we've gone through it, Madeleine. Tell me about what you're doing next, though. I like to wrap this up with what's next for Ms. Madeleine Klein. Uh, I think I'm going to do a video about Catherine for my YouTube channel. I think that's this a good was, idea. This was a good little discussion. Um, I just posted a video about a local case to me that has been solved 17 years later. Mm, yeah. Which is kind of cool. Um well we're gonna we're gonna do that here next week. I yeah. Think. So maybe I won't uh won't get into too much of that, but it's yeah, our justice system just kinda baffles me sometimes. Uh so I said if people want to see the video related to the Chris Garnier Catherine Campbell case, I'll add episode uh, links in the episode. But if you're doing a YouTube video, I'm sure you're gonna use some of that footage. So go yes. find Madeline Klein on YouTube. Like you said, the the security footage is eerie and because just knowing what was in there and what happened, it's... Yeah, or seeing them at the bar dancing and knowing what's about to happen an hour later. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and if you do go to Madeline Klein's YouTube, don't just watch her crime stuff. You got to find the videos of her messing with her cats. That is the content that we deserve. <laughs> All right, well, Madeline, thank you for another night that has been unpleasant but i'm glad i shared it with you it's yeah it's always it's never pleasant but i'm well spent i guess i don't know well wasted i want to thank you for joining madeline and i for this episode of nighttime i'm going to start wrapping up the episode but before we part let me end with some thanks First, a big thanks to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode, a thanks to Madeline for joining us here, and a shout out to LJ from the Dystopian Simulation Podcast who provides my intro and outro voiceovers. But lastly, and most importantly, a massive thank you goes out to each and every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. Now on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed, Hope and Julie, Thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the creation of the show, you can help out in a variety of ways. First of all, a premium feed subscription costs only a couple dollars a month and gives you the episodes two days early, gives them to you ad-free, and gives you a full back catalog of nighttime podcast episodes. If that sounds good to you, you can go premium now at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it by way of a premium feed subscription, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and telling like-minded friends about the show. If you have any story ideas, if you want to give feedback, or would like to contribute a voice memo to be aired and responded to in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com. I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.